Joining me this week is two days before Desert Bus. <laughs> and two seconds before Desert Bus. <laughs> well, this will be fun to watch in a couple days. <sighs> This is Control Structure, episode 74 for November 18th, 2014. Big week to everyone listening. Uh, this show does have show notes. Uh, visit thenexus.tv slash cs74 to see them. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is my other host, Stephen Orvis. Looks like you're pretty cold up there, huh? It is cold up here. Yeah, it's like 15 degrees or so. I think it was 14 last time I checked, so it's in and around the same temperature. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, it looks like uh, this is episode episode number seventy four, and if you remember, this episode start this uh, podcast series started at episode zero, so that means this, this is the seventy fifth episode. Uh, so we uh, this podcast switched to a uh, bi weekly schedule from a weekly schedule, so that means we've been around for two years. Uh, so I guess this is this is the premiere of quote season three or something. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's been uh, how should I say it? it's been uh, very interesting and uh, you know I mean, podcast is something that you know I sort of you know it's something that I wanted to do at some point but uh, like I was just idea bankrupt until I you know started listening to uh, Ryan's show. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, we'd rather, we really want to uh, get more shows on this network. So I'm like, hey, uh, this is kind of like my open door here. So, yeah, thanks to everyone uh, listening um, and all of our contributors, all of the uh, people who've chimed in. It's been a great, uh, it's been a great thing. Uh, on the other sadder news, though, uh, distinguished podcaster Ryan Rampersad has retired from podcasting after three years, uh, along with his co-host Matthew Petchel. Uh, they retired so fast that they were not able to do a farewell show. Uh, I am informed that Matthew looks forward to delivering the mail and that Ryan looks forward to midterms. Uh, we wish them well. Uh... So, but in uh, other uh, sort of upbeat news, a Desert Bus for Hope, uh, that little uh, charity uh, fund drive that I mentioned uh, last time, uh, this is the eighth event. It's going on right now as we are recording, and it looks like they've raised uh, over $352,000 this year, and uh, I believe it was... Uh, maybe Sunday, uh, that they crossed $2 million over the series or the lifetime of this. Uh, they will be busing for 149 hours at least. Uh, so yeah, uh, they're raising money for Child's Play, uh, which is a uh, charity for children's hospitals to provide them books and video games and like, other forms of distraction. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, they're doing a really good thing, and uh, so you, you know, just pretty much any time that you're bored, just you know, look at the live stream on this thing. You know, they're always you know doing some dancing, or they're you know just you know talking about you know various uh, you know gaming related topics mostly, or they're doing an auction, or they're interviewing someone. It's uh, you know they have all sorts of stuff going on, and uh, it's only gonna be around for less than a week or so. 
So have you watched it, any at all this time that they've streamed it? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, like whenever like I get home and uh, you know I'm just like flipping through the news or something, that uh, I will you know just you know, you know start watching it. So so yeah, and and it's a little bit different this year because not only are they in a different location, you know they still brought along like all their furniture with them, so it still sort of looks the same. Um, and also, uh, the, the actual stream of the game itself is, you know, integrated in, it's sort of like a picture in picture. It's kind of like off to the side. I, I, I saw that there. I flipped it on for a minute. Did, did they used to just kind of flip back and forth between the two? It was, it was on a separate stream, actually. Okay. So, so yeah, you can, you know, see there, you know, like when the bus crashes and like everyone's reaction that you don't need to flip over real fast. So it's pretty nice that way. That's true, that wouldn't make it that nice. <laughs> Raspberry? Raspberry! 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 So, so so it looks like a new model has been released. Yes, the model A+, Plus, which is basically just the model A ramped up, similar to how the B uh, got uh, upgraded. So you have the SD slot was made into a micro SD slot, just like the B, and it had better uh, power consumption as well. And then they, they messed with the, G, uh, the GPO pins, IO pins, uh, to add more to that. And they said something about rearranging it too, which evidently they were a different pattern or something than the, the B model was. So evidently now they can use the same attachments as the B can use for the, those pins. But the core essentials of the A plus though are still the same. It still has just one USB port and no ethernet and just 256 megabytes of RAM. Yeah, so this sounds like it might be a little bit of a better choice for your temperature reporter thing. Almost, except for it doesn't have an Ethernet port, which I am using the Ethernet part. Okay. But I, I did forget to mention it's five dollars cheaper, which is a great part of it. I, I thought that was a nice thing. It was kind of like, like they mentioned in the article there. Really, there was no reason to buy a an A versus the B before because they're kind of like the, about the same price, and it's like for a couple of dollar, dollars more, I may as well get the other one. But like this for what twenty dollars now, that makes it a pretty pretty cheap you can buy some microprocessors are close to twenty dollars some of the more expensive ones um the yeah because uh you know 25 versus 35 so for 10 bucks you get two more usb ports and an ethernet jack and uh twice the ram so yeah technically get five more usb ports i think with the b plus right isn't it six with, total I'm, I'm, t I'm talking about the uh, regular b that was four total yeah okay Actually, I believe it's three, three total. Right, because they had two double stacks. That's how it is. Okay. Anyways. All right. So now for this episode's lol Winamp. <laughs> uh, Winamp is now compliant with Atwood's law and has been implemented in JavaScript. So I seem to be the only person that I know who still uses Winamp after all this time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's essentially, you know, uh, Winamp, you know, the music player, uh, you know, loaded up into a browser and, you know, you can, you know, uh, play file, you know, play music with it 
and uh, you know the uh, the guy wants to you know add in you know other functionality like equalizers and playlists and stuff. Uh, but yeah, who knew? Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting seeing that implemented. I didn't actually read much of the code to see how they did like the manipulation of the of the audio, of the sound files to actually play it back. That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, I believe it's using that. I believe it's using the Web Audio API. Okay, so at the core core essential, it's still just feeding the the file to the browser to play, and it's yeah. just kind of managing it. Okay. So uh, Atwood's Law uh, was uh, is named in honor of Jeff Atwood, or rather, he came up with it. Um, he mentioned this uh, like about six years ago, or seven years ago, sorry, in a blog post called "The Principle of Least Power," and. Uh, he uh, quotes Tim Berners-Lee on this. Uh, Nowadays, we have to we have to appreciate the reasons for picking not the most powerful solution, but the least powerful. And he goes on about you know how like the least powerful has like more analytics into it. You can it's like more uh, uh, how should I say machine readable. And uh, uh, Lee here says you know about you know like a web page with weather information on it. Uh, you know, if it's just in raw HTML, like, someone can come along and read that with a program and, you know, like, do, you know, like, all sorts of interesting statistics on it. But if it was put stuffed into a Java applet, then you'd actually have to have a, have to have it in front of a living person in order for it to be useful. Um, and then Atwood says, any application that can be written in JavaScript will eventually be written in JavaScript. Definitely are a lot of things written in JavaScript. Now, I sort of think of examples of something else. I feel like there's something that got written in JavaScript recently that we talked about, but I can't think of it. Yeah, you know, like there's been like full-fledged games uh, in JavaScript, uh, you know, thanks to WebGL. I've been seeing the the Humble Bundle they've been having games for Firefox. Uh, yeah, that that was like maybe a, that was like maybe a month ago or so. Yeah. Um, I did not get that because I already have plenty of games. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, and, me uh, neither. Speak, <laughs> uh, uh, side note: Speaking of Winamp, uh, still nothing has changed on the on their official website uh, after being bought by Radio Nami. So uh, who is Radio Nami? I think it's like a European radio streamer company. Um, I think it was like last December that uh, AOL announced that they were shutting down Winamp. Apparently they had tried to sell it to someone, uh, but that deal went through. Uh, so then this company like apparently came out of nowhere and bought Winamp and all all of the source code and assets and like all the rights to it for mm-hmm. like either five or ten million dollars. Wow. It's kind of interesting. So I think there's kind of enough media players around that you wouldn't think that a company would bother to go and buy it. Probably for mainly for the name, I would guess. Yeah, um, you know, Winamp was everywhere back in the late '90s. So, all right, and uh, perhaps the uh, perhaps one of the biggest uh, tech news, or at least programmer uh, type news uh, this year, uh, is uh, come out of Microsoft. So I'm pretty sure that we're both familiar with the .NET ecosystem, right? Yes. Matter of fact, I I write code in .NET most every day. Uh, yes. Uh, it's called uh, a job, right? Yes, it's called <laughs> a job. <laughs> so, uh, like I had a little bit of exposure to it back in college, uh, but uh, it was just uh, 
let's see, yeah, it was just last week that uh, Microsoft did something that's totally not Microsoft, and they have open-sourced the .NET runtime. Uh, yes. So, like, the core runtime system classes, uh, even the compiler now, uh, yeah, that's all open-source now. Uh, along with this announcement, they have also released Visual Studio Community 2013. Uh, this is, like, sort of... Uh, it's not exactly a low end. It's a f still f rather fully featured Visual Studio edition. Uh, but it's, you know, aimed for, like, the smaller companies and hobbyists. Like you said, this is a pretty crazy move from Microsoft because they're always very, it's my stuff and you can't touch it attitude. But this is, this is pretty big for them. Yeah. I found that the whole, reading through the blog post, a lot of the ways they were thinking, there was a very agile, like an agile development mindset and, and a lot more open and collaborative. And like they mentioned, mono develop and how there were issues with having people in the open source community having to reduplicate all that code. And every time they would add a feature, the open source community had it had the same feature and it didn't always work the same way. And it was really impressive uh, what Microsoft came out and did with that move. Yeah, you know, Microsoft have, you know, they're, they were sort of like the new IBM in that they were all for the uh, proprietary vendor lock-in strategy. Um, yeah, because like I, hey, I grew up in the 90s and, you know, I was sort of a computer enthusiast even back then. And, uh, you know, you know, Microsoft, you know, you know, if if you didn't use anything Microsoft, then you pretty much, you know, got left behind. Uh, so and then uh, let's see, moving a little bit forward that it was maybe about 10 years ago or so, I think it might have been in like 2006 or so, uh, that Sun Microsystems decided to, you know, open source and do the same thing that, uh, you know, Microsoft's doing, but with Java. Uh, so, you know, it was way back then that uh, Java was open sourced as well. Um, so, and uh, I think that this comes as a pretty good time uh, for Microsoft to be doing this uh, because Oracle is kind of pressing the legal gauntlet against, you know, with Java, you know, against uh, Google especially, in that, uh, like, they're trying to claim that, uh, uh, like, the APIs of Java, you know, of any, you know, runtime or any API is copyrightable. Uh, so, you know, Oracle is, you know, suing Google and stuff, and that's, like, still bungled in the courts. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, kind of opens up as, you know, uh, like an alternative. Uh, so, you know... Uh -huh. So, yeah, this may be more of a political move also in order to get, uh, you know, open source mind share. That's, that's true because suddenly that lets you, uh, it, it caters to the Linux users and everyone else. It lets it be actually ran on other platforms. They, they mentioned that the Mac OS and, and all the yeah. mobile devices. Yeah, I, I pulled out this quote, uh, delivering on its promise to support cross-platform development. Microsoft is providing the full .NET server stack in open source, including ASP.NET, the .NET compiler, the .NET core runtime, framework, and libraries, enabling developers to build with .NET across Windows, Mac, or Linux. So this this is a big step for Microsoft, and I commend them. Yeah. So what I found interesting was that they weren't even... It's not just that they posted their source code up on the internet and... Uh, or letting people see it, they're actually using GitHub as the main uh, master branch of the code. Let me find which quote here I said. It's, um, yeah, it's the last one right there. The last one, yes. So it says, so instead of code bombs, we've set up our development environment so that the public 
GitHub repository is the leading system, this means that all the code changes are immediately live. So their, their developers are actually going to be committing up to GitHub, and they said the code reviews would be public, and there would be bugs would be public, and people have a chance to look at stuff, and even the community can do like code reviews and, and say, hey, what are you doing? This is stupid, and has <laughs> a chance to give input onto it. So I, I think it's a really great move in that part. And the interesting thing, I guess you don't use TFS probably at your workplace. No. But... I do, and it's not all that great of a system. The interesting thing is, they said that they aren't going to be using TFS for this project anymore. They're going to use it just for bugs to support other systems so that other people within Microsoft can log bugs. But they said their core stuff, what they're doing, they're not going to use TFS, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think it's not that great. Yeah, it's it's surprising that they uh, are, you know, they have overcome their not invented here syn- syndrome. So, uh, yes. And uh, especially following, uh, I believe it's Scott Hanselman. He uh, he's actually a friend of said uh, Jeff Atwood, and I believe he works somewhere on the ASP.NET uh, team at Microsoft. Uh, so you know, yeah, and uh, you know, he's all the time talking about GitHub and all that. And you know, of course, you know. You know, even though he works at Microsoft, he uh, even has, you know, he still has iPhones and iPads and stuff for his family and whatnot. Um, and I believe he even said, he even mentioned once that, you know, people come up to me and they know I work at Microsoft, but they see that I have an iPhone and they wonder what's up with that. <laughs> and he says, well, when Microsoft releases a nice phone that's just as good as this one, I'll be interested in it. So, um, yeah, at least, uh, like at least some parts of Microsoft are more, uh, open and cooperative with others. Which, which is good. I think it's going to lead to good things. Uh, I had another quote here. It says, and if you think about it, open source is essentially the ultimate agile development style. Every change is immediately public and in theory consumable. Many members on my team are on Twitter and Stack Overflow and engaging customer discussions. There are more than one occasion where I wish I could be able to point a customer to an internal dip- document that explains how our system is implemented or simply point to commit that shows how an issue is fixed. So I think this is, is definitely a, a shift in the attitudes there. And it, it's good because, like he says, being able to actually point to a commit. To, so it's like someone is, is saying, well, this doesn't work. This is broken. And you can point to it and say, well, it was broken. We fixed it. Here's the fix. And a pre someone could take a pre-release that needs the fix right then they could download the source code and compile it and have their own build their own version of the .NET library and make it work or even they could fix it themselves if they wanted to they could do a pull request quest and fix it and 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 maintain their own version of it if they wanted to so um this also comes at a time when the java ecosystem has been rather stagnant um like I believe it was Java 1.6. That was around for like maybe five years uh, before bumping up. Um, and like, meanwhile, you know, you know, .NET was going from like 3.0 to 3.5 to now 4.5 or so. Yes, I believe it's 4.5 is is the top version at this point yeah, in time. Yeah, because they're talking about uh, like uh, .NET 5 or something. Mm. Or maybe that's the ASP.NET 5. I want to say there's another version coming up. I remember reading about the Roslyn compiler, which I assume would be 5. I don't know the number for sure. But yeah, 4.5 is the current latest and greatest, though, of what they have. They definitely have a lot of great features in, in each version that's come out. They've done a lot of work, especially with the uh, link, to, with like lambdas and, and yeah. what you can do with them. They've done a lot of power with that and the expression trees. There's 
definitely a lot of great stuff that they've brought to uh, the language. So it, it's a good thing to open it up like that. And it'll be interesting to see how the mono uh, framework because uh, you can run right now the mon- mono code if you compile, you can run it in Linux or you can run it in uh, uh, Windows natively either way. And so it'll be interesting to see how people would take this being open now and whatever compiling the interpreter for Linux so that they can natively run a Windows binary that was compiled for Windows and .NET and make it work. So and uh, along with this, I believe they said that they would be releasing some sort of server. Uh, that would, you know, essentially run ASP.NET. So, yeah, I might actually be looking into this, and I might be switching platforms uh, to uh, .NET instead of Java. So, yeah. Um, so let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, TLS and HTTPS and all the other secure things. Uh, the EFF, the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, uh, and a whole bunch of other people uh, want to make the web easier to encrypt, uh, so much so that they have banded together to launch a new certificate authority that will provide TLS certificates very easy and for free. Uh, so certificates are the things behind, like when you go to like a e-commerce website or something, and you see the uh, address bar turn green. Uh, that's because of the certificate behind that. And, you know, certificates in general, you know, verify that the server you're talking to is actually the server you think you're talking to. And as a benefit of that, it's encrypted also, which I kind of think that's a little bit messed up uh, because right now the web needs encryption. It doesn't necessarily need verification of who's on the other side, just encryption. Um, well, I mean, you could always have a middleman attack or something like that, though. Well, you could also have a man in the middle attack against a you know unencrypted connection, also. So, I mean, we're talking about uh, you know like eavesdroppers. So for eavesdropping, yeah, you don't care about who the is someone watching the data flowing back and forth. It doesn't help if you're authenticating that you're talking to the right person. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, like they're making a new certificate authority is which is you know certificate authority is where these certificates come from and uh, you know inside your browser and uh, like even inside other places in your operating system and other apps uh, there are trust stores uh, which contain these uh, certificate authority certificates uh, so when <clears throat> excuse me so when you go to google.com It'll uh, say, you know, okay, here's the Google.com certificate, and here is the certificate from the certificate authority. And if that matches up with a uh, certificate authority certificate that you have, then that is implicitly trusted. Um, and if it's not, then you get the those uh, big red warnings, um, although other things can cause that. So it looks like they're doing two key things here. They made the certificate free to get. Yes. Which... I don't know what it costs today, but I understand it's at least 20 or so dollars. Yeah, per year. Per Per year. year. Okay, so that's significant then. And then uh, you have, they said that they did something to make it easier to implement on the websites, which I didn't actually look into that much. I I wasn't sure how that worked. The the other thing is they're making a protocol and client to automate and increase ease of use of actually deploying and installing a certificate and actually, you know, setting up everything. Um, I did uh, look at the, the... uh, how should I say, the demo prototype uh, that they have here. Um, and it looked like they were, you know, running on Ubuntu, 
and uh, you know, like they're going over. He was like, okay, so this is a website that's running on the local host. Um, so they, uh, you know, opened up this client and, you know, you know, punched in, you know, ran this program and, uh, you know, it, you know, actually showed the, uh, you know, the log messages of, you know, generating the, uh, key, uh, sending it off to the certificate authority, uh, then received it and now is installing it on Apache and creating the necessary, uh, Apache configurations and hosts and whatnot, uh, to actually get that running. And whether or not you uh, want to, you know, run on both HTTP and HTTPS or just want HTTPS only uh, on running on your server. Uh, so that that would uh, greatly, uh, you know, how should I say, greatly increase the ease of use for Apache. Uh, but uh, hopefully this protocol be implemented for other servers as well. So the interesting thing I was just thinking about is they just wrecked a whole industry uh, for making money for people. All the companies that issue certificates now, who's going to keep buying certificates from them? Because if you can get it for free, everyone's going to go to this other, this new one. Um, then there is the, uh, like, this will just provide the basic certificates. Uh, they won't be the ones that turn your bra- bar green or anything. Okay. Uh, at least from uh, what I've, uh, you know, seen here. Like, it just does, you know, basic validation. Uh, whereas, like, if uh, it turns green, then you have to, like, go through, like, this is your place of business, and, like, you actually have a legitimate address. You actually have a physical presence where, you know, your domain or whoever says you are. I see. So, really, the value in this is more so the ability to turn on the encryption, probably, is the, the key value in this. Exactly. Um, so, uh, quote here, in our tests, it typically takes a web developer one to three hours to enable encryption for the first time. Uh, this project is aiming to fix that by reducing the setup time to 20 to 30 seconds. Uh, so yeah, like a lot faster. Um, pretty, pretty high aiming goal there. So they, uh, uh, the name of their protocol here, I think is really genius called the automated certificate management environment. Acme. Acme. <laughs> that is great. It's a protocol for automating the management of domain validate validation certificates based on a simple JSON over HTTPS interface. So they have a GitHub that's uh, is essentially the specification. And this will apparently launch next summer at letsencrypt.org. So... Uh, yeah, let's uh, move on a little here. And as we always say here on Control Structure, another two weeks, another lethal security bug. Uh, this time it's S-Channel. It's the built-in SSL slash TLS uh, stack on Windows. This affects pretty much all Windows versions, present and past. Like all good Windows bugs, this one allows remote code execution as well. Uh, like, like all good Windows bugs. Yeah. So I'm really starting to think here that the whole remote desktop protocol is totally unnecessary. You know, like where you sort of uh, log into someone else's computer, you know, when you're not there. Um, Because it doesn't really matter which way you shove data into Windows, you get to control all of it. Like (laughs) There is always some bug out there that Windows allows hackers to gain access to your computer like that is the common bug with windows every tuesday or update was it update thursdays or update tuesdays one uh, of that patch tuesdays patch tuesday there we go 
It's um, always something like that. So, yeah, if you haven't updated your Windows in the past week or so, do it. Um, so, yeah, this... Uh, it, I I sometimes look through the uh, like the patch notes and the update notes for these, and like all of them say this uh, fixes a bug which may allow uh, remote code execution or some such. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, like Windows is kind of badly designed if every single bug allows remote code get execution. Yes. Or Anyways. maybe or maybe it's just like some manager wants to like write scary language in the bug notes. <laughs> <laughs> Could be too. So uh, I, I, I seem to recall some smug blog post a while back with the the heart bleed. Uh, is that the right one? The SSL? Was yeah. That the heart. Yeah, open, that was heart bleed. Open SSL. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I remember some smug blogger talking about how Windows wasn't affected. So now it's take that Windows. He's <laughs> got got his own bug too for SSL. Uh, so the Apple blog uh, mentions that every major TLS stack has had an existential vulnerability in the past calendar year. Uh, so if you didn't get that joke, the Apple blog is Ars Technica. Uh, so yeah, so you know, so yeah, there is uh, Heartbleed with OpenSSL. Uh, let's see, there is the go-to fail for uh, Apple and iOS. Uh, G- uh, GNU TLS, uh, which is like sort of the uh, ripoff poor man's uh, open SSL. Uh, let's see, NSS, I forget who uses that one. And of course, now S Channel. So, yeah, uh, everything's being burned down. Makes you feel safe. smartphone that i got ish recent recently no no uh, mobile stuff just the wi-fi is all i use it for anyways i wanted to download some free music from google play and turns out you can't buy anything for free with an invalid payment type and nothing is a valid payment type not my credit card not paypal i even bought google play credits from online typed in the code activated it had it credited to my account and it's still an invalid payment type and then i logged into the, the google has like a, a, a chat an online chat yeah. you can go into for support i sat in queue for like at least maybe 30 30 minutes maybe an hour and no one i said i was the first person in queue and it just <laughs> never comes up i'm like really wow <laughs> Now you so. now you feel like what it was, you know, trying to get something working in the 90s. You know, everyone's off too busy making money to actually care about you. Yes, exactly. The big monster Google. Wow. Um, that, that was the first... I've never really had experiences with Google support ever before because you just don't normally need to talk to Google support directly. Like, that is just not something you ever need to do. So, so buy something for free, you mentioned. Yes, and they have various things on their Google Play, like the apps. And right. The apps are fine. Like I can actually download the free apps without a problem. But it was a free uh, audio file, and it wouldn't let me buy it for free because evidently I have an invalid payment type. And I actually Googled it a while back, and it seems like it's actually a somewhat common problem for Google Play not to work with buying stuff. Like People have issues with that huh. quite a bit, I guess. 
Huh. So, interesting concept and stuff, integration, full integration with the Androids, but if you can't pay for it, <laughs> you can't buy it. So that's a problem. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately we didn't have any podcast feedback this week, uh, so I'm not sure if anybody's listening to us. So if you would like to submit feedback, go ahead and use the contact link on the nexus.tv. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff before uh, a security vulnerability hits you. So, and maybe we can go off to the open source land of .NET. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, let's see, it was uh, Sunday evening. Uh, let's see, this was, this was not when you were around, uh, but I, I forget what episode it was. But it was like maybe 16 months ago. Uh, we had a real legit game developer on, uh, John Gosling, uh, talking about his uh, Kickstarter for the game uh, NetGain Corporate es- Espionage. Uh, so I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but it was just this past Sunday that I finally made an account on Desura and downloaded the uh, beta and like opened it up and. St- like poked around a little bit for the first time. Um, it seems to be pretty complex, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I needed to dedicate more time to it. Uh, so yeah, I I finally uh, made contact with that. Uh, but for the rest of the weekend, I was playing Fallout on Twentieth Century. So hopefully, I'll finish that soon. Um, I really want to get through that. I mean, it's been like maybe a year or so. Uh, so yeah, you know, Windows 98 on a original CRT and ball mouse. Hey, look, mom, I'm inefficient. <laughs> uh, gotta love the ball mice with the lint and it freezes the motion and all that. <laughs> well, uh, when I originally got this, uh, ball mouse, like I looked at it like in the uh, crack underneath the, uh, palm rest or something. Like there was like uh-huh. a, whole, a whole bunch of dirt and crap in there. And I'm like, ooh, I just touched that. <laughs> so I disassembled it and cleaned it all out and like sterilized it with you know like Lysol wipes and stuff. There you go. So yeah, it's it's clean and slick and uh, like actually smooth where I've wor- where it's been worn down. So um, yeah, I'm sort of enjoying that. Uh, let's see. Then of course uh, between this episode and next episode, it'll be Thanksgiving. Uh, so I'll be, uh, cleaning up my apartment and, uh, going over to my parents' place and, uh, hope probably having a lot of turkey and especially pumpkin pie. Mmm. Mmm. Very nice. So, Can't beat pumpkin pie. Of course, you go home, like, what, twice a week or something? Well, I'm in kind of been home if you're... for like the past two, three weeks. Well, I mean. What do you it... mean home? Which, 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 which do you mean by home? Uh, where you are right now. I am right now. I, I, so, I've well, been maybe, up here. Okay, Chris, I misspoke a little bit on that. <laughs> um, like, you know, you, how should I say this? You're pretty much up there all the time these days. Yes, so. pretty much. It's, it's actually nice not having to drive to work every morning. And like when I come out in the morning, this cars are frosty with the snow on it and has like the icy windshield. I just open up the trailer door and walk in and don't get in my car. It's actually pretty nice. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I, I'm I'm coming back down though Thursday and Friday to kind of re-socialize, and then there's a, a a meeting going on there the one the one day, so kind of be good to get back in and talk to people, let everyone know I still work there and haven't gone away. So, so yeah, um, next time we meet up, uh, both me, you, and Chris, 
uh, we need to sit down and uh, like have a counseling session because he is apparently traumatized by saws. Saws. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds good. Oh yeah. Um, pastor was making saw noises during the sermon once, and okay. he was visibly disturbed. Really? Yeah. And uh, also, it's a, I think it might be a week ago now that he broke his toe. How did he do that? Uh, he was apparently at home when he did it. He just, you know, like stubbed his toe so hard that he heard a cracking noise. Ouch! That would hurt. And he kind of, he kind of denied that it was broken for like five days. And like once he told me about it, it was like, ah, dude, that's probably broken. (laughs) He didn't come to the realization for a few days after. Um, So I wanted to ask. Did he drop his electric razor on it? <laughs> no, he, uh, <laughs> as far as I know, he didn't, and that was certainly not the cause. Falls out of his coat pocket. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't keep it in your coat pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to mention that. Um, so, so yeah. Anyway. If, if you meet him before me, talk about his toe. His toe, okay. I'll, I'll try to remember that. So, um, and then, so- and then also, uh, let's see, my mom has, uh, been complaining about an antenna. Um, what? A antenna. Oh, like I think it's an antenna. I was like, what's an antenna? Okay. Uh, antenna. Like, okay. like a TV antenna? Like, yes. ones you place, like, outside on a tall pole? Yep, uh, I gotcha. Well, for the past 20-ish years, we've had one of those in the attic in the house. Uh-huh. Not outside the house, in the attic. In the attic. Does it work? Well, partially, and it's one of the inadequate choices that sort of defined my childhood. <laughs> uh, but apparently recently, my uh, dad brought it down from the attic for some reason and put it in, like, the room where he exercises in, and uh, mom has been complaining about this uh, pretty much nonstop. And, uh, yeah, how should I say, this sort of, you know, connects vaguely uh, with the fact that, uh, uh, today at the office, uh, they were supposed to replace the carpet on one half of the office. Uh uh-huh. So we've, like, moved, like, pretty much everything out of there and, like, piled everything up around, like, all the other desks on the other side. Um, so this morning they come in and it looked like they got to work for, like, maybe half an hour when they realized that they were about ten feet short on one side. Um, so it looks like we're going to be, uh, going to work in a cave for two weeks while, uh, everything gets straightened out (laughs) and they have to order new carpet. (laughs) So yeah, inadequate choices there. Um, so yeah, (laughs) I'll probably be talking about new carpet next time. (laughs) So yeah. Anything like that happened to you? Well, not bad stuff. I caught a raccoon the other day, so that was a good thing. Yeah. Um, let me think here. What else? I caught a possum too recently as well. Oh. House cat. <laughs> so a few different things here and there. Yeah. But yes. And then uh, the Smokey the Furnace app hooked to the Raspberry Pi. It's been doing quite well, except for it did cut out just recently. I think it was because maybe the the water's getting into the temperature probe and maybe uh, eating away at it. I, I pulled it out and like the rubber coating was messed up. But anyways, it started working after I touched it. So I'm just gonna leave it be until it stops working again. <laughs> so. 
But yes, it actually it is providing very nice data, and I've updated it so now you can give it actually a date rate, not a data range, and tell it like today or all time or hour, and you can type in a number, and it dynamically figures out however many previous hours of data you want to see. So that's kind of interesting. My family's actually been using it to see how the furnace is doing to make decisions whether or not to go fill it or not. So it's been been kind of interesting. All right, so I guess with that,、uh, have a good one. You too.